As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 206 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today's case is from beautiful South Devon and it's an upsetting story about vulnerability and violence. A huge thank you to Steve Percival for researching and writing this story. Before we start, you've probably seen that the original CrimeCon is coming to London in June next year. I will be there and available all weekend, so it'd be awesome to see you there. You're round, of course. Just head to crimecon.co.uk and use the code UKTC to claim your discount. A huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially the new members of this exclusive club. That is Jade Louise, Portia Maxine, Phoebes Lyle, Kathleen Strange, Danielle Arnold and Isabel Amroy. Thank you all so much for your support, which is so much appreciated. I hope you enjoy the latest exclusive bonus episode, which was released on Monday. And a big hello to all my supporters on Patreon watching me record this episode live, as we do every month. I'm delighted that this episode is sponsored by a brand new interactive experience called Moriarty's Game, A Killer in the Hive, based on the world of Sherlock Holmes. It allows you to step inside your own detective story, not just watching, but actually planning undercover operations luring suspects, assessing evidence and solving puzzles. I love this game already, it's great, as it sees you working side by side with the savvy Kayla Watson, a sharp-witted private detective, as you try to solve a series of mysterious crimes taking place in the city. What I love most about this game is that it's genuinely immersive, it's full of suspense, and it gets your friends and family together in a really clever way, even if you're not in the same physical location. Along the way, you encounter suspects, you infiltrate criminal syndicates, hack security systems, and communicate with people across phone calls, text and video. Sounds like fun, huh? It really is. You're going to enjoy this if you're a fan of crime TV shows, escape rooms, board games, immersive theatre, or just detective fiction in general. The game has five-star reviews from critics such as the BBC Radio's Gavin Inskip, and was called one of the best online events in the UK by the website Design My Night. To play, simply go to inthehiddencity.com, and tickets cost £11 per device. The game's a killer in the hive. That is inthehiddencity.com, tickets cost £11 per device, and the game's a killer in the hive. I'll see you there. Okay, it's time to play the game that everybody isn't talking about. 
Let's guess the month and year as we set context for today's story. Top of the UK charts, it was The Bieber with What Do You Mean? In the US, the number one was The Weekend with The Hills. And in the Australian album charts, the top spot was Triple J's Like A Virgin, Volume 11. Playing on the Like A Virgin title, get it? <laughs> By various art analysts, various artists got work on the mind. In the news this month, there is a mudslide on the outskirts of Guatemala City, leaving at least 131 people dead and 300 missing. Host nation England crashed out of their Rugby World Cup in the pool stages, losing to Australia, who later in the month would lose to New Zealand in the final. China announced the end of their one-child policy after 35 years, and a Russian airliner crashed in Egypt, killing all 224 people on board, Russia's worst air disaster. Five people, all confirmed to be Britons, were drowned after a whale-watching boat sank off British Columbia in Canada. And in UK true crime news, Merseyside police began a major search after one of their officers, David Phillips, died after being hit by a stolen pickup truck that he was trying to stop. Did you get the month and the year? It was December 2015. This week's episode takes place in Newton Abbott, a market town in South Devon a few miles from Torquay. A place where Steve tells me he has spent many good weeks travelling to walks around Dartmoor, grabbing a bag of chips and visiting the arcades nearby before enjoying a particularly potent pint or two at Ye Old Cider Bar in the evenings. As you may know, I lived in North Devon until February and I can vouch for some of that cider. A couple of some of those and I was in the same stage as after drinking Mekong in Chiang Mai. Adrian Mundy was 51 years old and a well-known character around town. He was known as a gentle giant and his friends described him as mild-mannered and kind. He was very close to his family, his mother and his sisters, and he had a number of friends from around town and in the care service. He'd suffered from a number of mental health issues and was very vulnerable, and this was all as a result of a difficult birth as an undiagnosed twin. But to his credit, he got over that, and he did pretty well at school. He suffered with his mental health from quite an early age, and he would panic if he was in crowds. When we joined the story today, he'd spent most of his life in care, but he always wanted to be more independent, and his family supported him in achieving this. They even set up a trust fund to give him the financial support that they knew he would need. Adrian had developed an addiction to legal high drugs in the past, and this had made him even more vulnerable. But eventually, after a drug rehab programme, and six years drug-free, it was agreed to test Adrian living on his own, under the supervision of the Community Care Trust in a small flat. Very quickly, and understandably, he struggled with this change, and instead he was moved to his own cottage in Newton Abbott. The results of this were mixed and he was clearly enjoying his independence, telling friends and family how much he was loving the time on his own. But he admitted that he was suffering from anxiety and he told his psychiatric nurse that nobody from the community care trust had ever checked on him. Eventually a care worker did visit once but noted that at the time agents seemed calm and relaxed and there were no serious issues to report. But then one day in September 2015, Just four months into living independently, Adrian befriended Stuart Hodgkin, 
they met on a train. After a brief chat, Stuart realised that Adrian was a vulnerable person. He befriended him, and within a few hours, he'd moved into his house. Stuart was a manipulative man. He was a homeless drifter from Basingstoke, who had a history of drug use and violence, and he was currently on probation. At the time, he had no money at all to his name, and after being denied cash from the job centre, he was living rough, staying in a tent just outside of Newton Abbott Racecourse after he'd been thrown out of a homeless shelter in Totnes just a couple of weeks before. Over the course of the next three weeks, Stuart took advantage of Adrian's good nature and manipulated him into giving him money. At first, these were just small amounts, but this grew very quickly, and soon Adrian started to struggle for money too. Adrian told his family that he was preoccupied with somebody, and there were signs that this person could not be completely trusted. Adrian even described him as somebody who is and also who isn't a friend. And he even suggested that he'd ask Stuart to leave the cottage, but he was unable to get him to leave. In a very quick amount of time, the structure and the dynamics of the relationship between the two men had changed, and you would have thought it was Stuart's house, as after regular booze and drug-fueled nights, Adrian slept on the floor while Stuart took his bed. Even though Adrian was not capable of holding down the job, he had managed to build up some savings. Adrian took care in his appearance and he did like to buy nice clothes but despite this he was very careful with how he spent his cash and he managed to put aside a very small amount each month from his disability allowance. People who knew Adrian noticed on a number of occasions Stuart Hodgkinson was escorting him to the nearest cash point and withdrawing money. And of course... All this money was spent on alcohol and drugs. There was some serious spending going on, and during a two-week spell, Adrian withdrew over a £1,000, and he handed all of this over to Stuart, every single penny. Stuart even joked to another friend how Adrian was, in his words, a bottomless pit. And as this continued, Adrian, understandably, started to deteriorate further to the extent that when they were at the cash point together, Stuart had to assist with getting his wallet out of Adrian's pocket and had to put the card in the machine. Once Adrian finally ran out of cash, he then tried to borrow money from family, but he was very vague on what the money was actually for. He was careful not to ask for too much, so as to avoid arousing serious suspicion, and asked for £100 or so each time. After Adrian had completely run out of cash, he even tried to sell an old coin collection, something which had some real significance to him and his family. His family were of course concerned for him, and they tried to come round to his house to try and understand properly what the issue was. But at this time, Adrian's anxiety was at a heightened level, and he refused to answer the door to anybody. Then on October the 6th, 2015, Stuart Hodgkin wanted yet more money. He wanted to go out and he wanted drugs, he wanted alcohol. But by this time, Adrian had completely run out of cash, had nothing else to sell and nobody else would lend him any more money. So he told Stuart he'd run out of cash and couldn't get him any more money now or in the near future. Stuart wasn't at all happy about this. He needed his fix and he flew into a fit of rage attacking Adrian. Poor Adrian was kicked, beaten and stamped on multiple times. When it was over, 
and Adrian's lifeless body lay in front of him. Stuart tried to cover up his crime by building a fire over Adrian's body. He laid the body on the floor, found some old leaflets that come in the post, and put layers of them around Adrian, covering the whole lot with two bottles of lighter fluid, and he set it alight. Stuart didn't hang around to see what would happen next, and immediately fled to his mum's house. As we've heard so many times on this podcast, the fire did not take hold properly, and there was enough of the body available for the autopsy to reveal that Adrian hadn't died in the fire, but was murdered. And there was plenty of DNA evidence that could be recovered from the scene. It actually took over three hours for a neighbour to discover the body, when the small amounts of smoke produced finally set off an alarm in the house. The autopsy revealed that Adrian had 20 rib fractures, broken toes and significant head and brain injuries, with the brain injuries being the most likely cause of death. What is clear is that it had been a sustained and ferocious attack. As we have established, Hodgkin had fled the scene and made his way eastwards along the coast to Hampshire. But given his history of violence, it was unsurprising that his DNA was on the national database and it was quickly matched as it was all over Adrian's home and his public appearance with Adrian in the weeks before his death had led to him being rapidly identified and made the prime suspect. He was no Ted Bundy and 24 hours later he was in custody. Further investigation revealed Hodgkin's DNA on two cans of lighter fluid found at the scene and CCT analysis showed him fleeing after setting the fire. When he was arrested 24 hours later, he hadn't even bothered to clean his shoes and these were still covered in Adrian's blood. It was later discovered that these bloodied shoes were ones that Adrian had kindly bought for him. I'm sure they had enough evidence at this stage, but they even managed to pull out some leaflets from the fire and these of course all had Hodgkinson's fingerprints and DNA on them. Despite the mounting weight of evidence, Hodgkin denied all charges and pleaded not guilty to murder. At his trial, he decided not to give any evidence, but he spoke at length in the police interviews beforehand. Here he explained that when he left the house, Adrian was alive and well, and it must have been somebody else who beat him and set him alight. In fact, he tried to shift all the blame onto someone known to them both called Tracy. He went on to describe how Tracy had exploited Adrian in just the same way that Stuart was being accused of. In reality, Tracy was a good person and a close friend of Adrian's. He cared deeply for him and they lived together before Adrian lived independently. Tracy suffered from bipolar disorder and she was Adrian's main support structure outside of the family. In fact, they were trying to help each other in the transition to assisted living. The prosecution painted a pretty bleak picture of Hodgkinson, saying that he was utterly untroubled by scruples of any kind and that it had been Adrian's great misfortune to meet him by chance on that train. From that moment on, he inserted himself fully into his life. I quote, The defendant saw an opportunity. Adrian had access to money and had a home. Hodgkin was living in a tent. He was living on benefits which were quite inadequate to cover his appetite for drink and drugs. He took advantage of Adrian, who was meekly willing to hand over money. He moved into his house and on the day the money ran out, he killed him. 
The truth was he was using Adrian. He was using his house, using his bed to sleep in, using his money to pay for a way of life he could not afford, but which he wanted to enjoy. Drinking, taking drugs, and all at Adrian's expense. Hodgkin was described as a bit of a Jack the Lad personality, and Adrian could have had no idea of the price he was to pay for letting him into his life. The defendant thought he had found the key to his ideal life, so you can perhaps imagine his anger and frustration when what he thought was a bottomless pit ran dry. During the trial, one person who did give evidence was Hodgkin's mum, Anna. Once Stuart left Adrian, he went back to his mum's house, spending a bit of time there before leaving and coming back. On the second time, she refused to let him in because the police were looking for him. Little did his mum know that they were talking about two different crimes. Anna was talking not about Adrian, but a new investigation where her son had done what seemingly comes naturally to him, meeting a confused pensioner in the local village, exploiting him and finally stealing £240 from him. Anna couldn't understand her son's response when he replied, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't kill anyone. His mum had no idea what had happened until a couple of days later, when the police called to investigate Adrian's murder. At first she was in shock and she said nothing, but very quickly she had a change of conscience, contacted the police and told them all that she knew. After a two-week trial, Stuart was of course found guilty of murder and given a life sentence, with a minimum of 20 years to be served for the murder of Adrian Mundy. A 20-year sentence is the minimum term that could be handed out, and on the surface this seems a trivial amount, doesn't it, for such a vicious crime against someone so vulnerable. However, it transpired that Hodgkin had terminal bowel cancer, and any sentence given to him would effectively be a life sentence. He died just eight months into his sentence in April 2017. One other conviction in this case was for a man called Ziggy Faki. He was the one person there to support the defence and was charged later with contempt of court. As of June 2018, Ziggy had 48 convictions for drugs and violent offences and you can perhaps imagine why Ziggy and Stuart were friends. Adrian's family were naturally devastated by his loss. His twin, Sarah, said, Hodgkin was a really, really horrible man, and we all hoped so much the jury would see just how horrible he was, and they did. For me, this was like a physical loss as well as an emotional one. There was a physical lump of me taken out. I don't know how to describe it. Until it happens to your own family, you cannot imagine just how awful it is. Adrian was so sweet, loving and kind and having him stolen away in such a dreadful way is beyond our comprehension. Whilst Adrian's family welcomed the sentence, they were not satisfied, they needed answers. Just how was Adrian allowed to let somebody he just met into his home, especially someone with a known drugs and violent past life? Adrian's twin sister again led this and brought a complaint to the Ombudsman after emails were not responded to, and a report, which was late, turned out to be a draft. An investigation was immediately carried out by Devon's Safeguarding Adult Board and the family soon received their answers. Unsurprisingly, it confirmed that Adrian was let down by the infrastructure that should have been there to protect him. Like we hear so often, and I'm afraid I roll my eyes every time we hear it, it gave assurances that lessons have been learned by everyone involved and the review will help prevent similar events from happening in future. 
They found that no risk management plan had been put in place when Adrian lived independently and there was nothing there to ensure that somebody so vulnerable was being supported and not taken advantage of and there was nothing in place to ensure that he didn't relapse. I'm sorry to have to repeat what I've said so many times on this podcast which is, deep breath, there were a number of agencies and people involved with very little communication between them and nobody taking charge of his situation. In this case, it was the National Probation Service and the Devon, Dorset and Cornwall Community Rehabilitation Company, known as the DDC. The DDC came in for especially harsh criticism as they deliberately delayed releasing a report into Adrian's death to the family, had incorrect dates on their reports and failed to handle any of the family's complaints. This was a private firm which has since gone into administration, so whilst they can never make this mistake again, they will also never be fully held accountable. They've been accused since of putting profits before care, with the lead investigator saying that, I quote, the professional ethos of probation has buckled under the strain of the commercial pressures put upon it here, and it must be restored urgently. One positive change that has since happened is they've introduced a vulnerable individual screening tool, a VIST. Ah, they love an acronym. They love an acronym, don't they? This gives the policy and community support teams a clearer way to identify somebody who is in need and is a central tool to share information for people who need help. Let's hope it helps others. So what do you make of what we've heard today? I really do get angry. (laughs) Is that the word? It's probably not. I get upset and I get exasperated when investigations like this always seem to have the same generic outcome, that lessons will be learnt and processes reviewed for the future. I really do hope in this case they are true to their word. Adrian's family did praise the authorities for their eventual quick response and swift investigation. But to me, again, it's always about accountability. Who is actually accountable for the clear failures that happened? And while... The reviews have shown that a lot could have been done to prevent this awful murder happening. It doesn't take away from the fact that Adrian is no longer here to enjoy his life with his family and his friends. And what of Stuart Hodgkins? A man willing to exploit such a vulnerable person to extreme lengths just to get their drug and alcohol fix. And then once they were of no use to beat them to death and leave without care in the world and then serving less than a year of his sentence for his death. I'm sure that some of you will be glad that he's no longer a burden to the taxpayer and will never walk the streets again. Others, and I think I fall in this category, would have wanted him to serve his time and spend every moment reflecting just what he did. Adrian's twin sister said afterwards, Hodgkin put us through the ordeal of a trial in which everything had to come out in the greatest detail. He did not have to do that. He could have saved us that torture, but he was callous. And I think that sums up perfectly concisely just the sort of person he was. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast and a huge thank you again to Steve for bringing this case to my attention. To discuss this case and any other aspects of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group where you can join almost 45,000 of us. And to support the show and take advantage of two months free support on Patreon, just pop over to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. So that's all from me for today. Until we speak again next week, 
please do take it easy. And despite all the others, I know it's so hard. I know, I know. Please stay classy. Cheerio. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.